everybody. How you doing? That's, that's good. Anyway, uh, welcome, welcome back. Welcome to We've Got Mail. That's the podcast where you control the conversation. Right here at the Critically Acclaimed Network. You can do that. Anyway, as you already know, my name is William Bibiani. I'm a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. <laughs> it's very genial of you this week. Yeah. My name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a film critic. Um, that's it. I'm just a film critic. And, and, and so much more. And this is the podcast where we, we read your emails. You can, you can email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyclaimed.net. It's quite nice. You're talking at them like they're a kitten. It's like, hey, 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 little kitty. I don't know. I'm, I'm see you. feeling jovial. I'm, 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 going, I'm going to touch your fuzzy fur. I'm excited to see all of our fans. Hello. Mm-hmm. Pleasure, to, pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much. If, uh, if you weren't listening to my voice right now, my voice would not exist. So I'm very grateful to be here and alive. And uh, thank you. Anyway, uh, here's how it works. You can email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Once again, that is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. People tend to email us about stuff, you know, whatever they want to talk about. Often it's movie or TV related, something to do with something we talked about in one of our previous podcasts or something they've always wanted to know about the industry or film and TV history. Mm. Uh, They want recommendations for various different kinds of movies. Sometimes they want to take us to task for things that we've gotten wrong. We're only human. And, uh, yeah, and anything else you want to talk about, the floor is yours. We love having this podcast because this is your opportunity to decide what we're going to talk about. So without any further Mm dilly-dallying, Whitney, take us away. Here's a letter from RJ. Hello, Hi. RJ. Um, dear Bibbs and Rockmeister. Oh, yes. Uh, for the purposes of this podcast, you can call me Rockmeister McCool. Uh, all, all spellings are correct. Uh, dear Bibbs and Rockmeister, a quick preface for Whitney. This letter does directly talk about William's review of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Ah. Um, uh, which I have no opinion on. Yeah. Uh, I don't plan to discuss his or my thoughts on the movie in too much depth, depth, but just to be on the safe side, I want to put this here to clarify that this is no way reflective of Whitney's opinion on the film. Um, I have no opinion on the film. I can't talk about this movie. Yeah, that's uh, it would that's, be a conflict uh, of interest. Because I, I work for the New Beverly Cinema, which is owned by Quentin Tarantino. Um, I can't re- ethically review his film. Would so. you prefer I just read this uh, email and then you wouldn't I'll, have any I'll, issues? I'll read or? the email okay. because uh, he says, with that out of the way, Bibbs, I cited your review oh. of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood from Bloody Disgusting in an essay I wrote on the film. Uh, oh. I was discussing the representation of gender within the film and there was a line in your review that summed it up so perfectly that I included it among my evidence as an example of how representation of gender was received. Uh, you're quoted with your name in brackets next to it and then wow. jotted down in my bibliography. Wow, so that's actually quite an honor. Thank college you. college paper. I, didn't, I don't know if I've ever been that before. Hmm. Well, I guess we wouldn't know if somebody no, quotes our reviews. they don't have to run it by us. I mean, like, I might have. Uh, mm-hmm. People talk about, I've cited plenty of reviews when I was in college and writing oh, yeah. uh, various essays talking mm-hmm. about different interpretations of various motion pictures. So mm-hmm. I guess I might have. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's cool. Anyway, That's, it's really, really cool. Thank you. Know, RJ says, I must say, it feels awesome to see your name there because you have both a huge influence on me as a film lover and the way that I perceive slash discuss cinema and the fact that I was able to incorporate you directly into a piece of work, which I think would be wildly different were it not for the inspiration I received from you is incredibly satisfying. Thank you. I'm really, I'm really genuinely honored. That's really cool. <laughs> Uh, your review struck a chord with me ever since it came out. And sure, I don't need to tell you, Bibbs, having a negative opinion on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood on the internet feels like an uphill battle. 
The yeah. comments section of that review sticks with me too. Oh, don't ever read that. Oh, goodness that, I got I got lambasted for not liking that movie. Oh, like I'm just for, for whatever it's worth, people well, were well, how, people were not happy with me. Uh, whatever the film is, just have your opinions, and that's yeah, that. But yeah, uh, basically that. Uh, the comments section, uh, d- 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 the sheer vitriol you received for your opinions were completely unre—that uh, were completely reasonable and, to my perspective, completely correct. Has made me question my desires to review films professionally, <laughs> but I try not to let that stuff deter me. Oh. But another reason I'm hesitant to discuss the film online, apart from getting hate, is that I honestly feel like I'll never be able to sum it up as well as you do. Uh, It's what we call a slam dunk review. You've summed everything up so perfectly in one hit that I can't quite compete with it. Obviously, I know that's just how you view film criticism. I just find it hard to articulate my own thoughts on the film without thinking of yours. Uh, With that said, have you ever come across a slam dunk review yourselves? One that just put the point across so perfectly that you felt you you couldn't do any better. I would love to hear any examples you have of what critics say came from so I can look at their work for more inspiration. I love what you guys do, and thank you for influencing me all the time. Thank you so much. Yours Sincerely yours, RJ. RJ, thank you so much for writing in. Again, thank you very much uh, for considering me worthy of being part of a college essay. I mean it. That's really cool. Uh, and, and I love hearing about stuff like that. So if anyone else has any other tales along those lines, it's just kind of encouraging. So thanks yeah. for that. Um, um, regarding, uh, firstly, regarding vitriol, you're going to get uh, when you give reviews, either when you give a positive review to something people thought was going to suck, which I've gotten some really vitriolic emails about, or vice versa. Hmm. Well, It here, sucks. Here, here's what I've experienced. Yeah. If something is highly anticipated or widely beloved, mm-hmm. like in its opening week, mm-hmm. or, and, or and comes with a lot of goodwill already, uh, like it's a filmmaker, everyone loves like Christopher Nolan, yeah, or, uh, and, or if it's a genre or a franchise, people are just immediately going to be excited about it no matter yeah, what. And and you don't like it, or you yeah. uh, as a critic have some sort of issue with it, and or you, or, or even if you're just sort of indifferent, you're just sort of warm yeah. to this thing. It's like I saw this big thing, it does nothing for me, it's competent. Blah. That's like uh, you, yeah. you don't have a lot to say about something like that. Uh, the positive reviews you previously wrote of other films that are not as widely well received mm-hmm. only then are those cited as an example of your bad taste. Yeah. What, oh. What, oh. So let me like let me get this straight. The guy who liked Jupiter Ascending mm. didn't like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, that, I get that kind of that, shit. That kind of thing. And uh, it does again. It's not about what you like and what you don't like. It's about how you discuss what you like and don't like. Why you articulate what you like and don't like about something. A lot of people love, and I know when he's not allowed to talk about it, but I'll make it quick. A lot of people love Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I read a lot of reviews because it's one of those things where I watched the movie opening night and I did not care for it for reasons I've gone into great detail about. And you can read that review on Bloody Disgusting if you want. And there's a episode... Uh, I did with uh, Liz Shannon Miller, which I actually think might have been taken down for some reason. Oh, a lot of our older episodes that were on the Schmoes No Network are oh, no longer okay. up because the Schmoes No Network just decided they decided to let it, okay. they decided to let it go fallow, so it just it's not there anymore. So unfortunately, that episode isn't currently available. But we went into a lot of detail. Um, but a lot of people loved it, and I read quite a few positive reviews of it. Just to see, did I miss something? Hmm. Was I wrong? Or maybe was there an so, angle? Can like, offer an angle. Was yeah. there an angle I can like now? Like, oh, I see it from this angle now, and now I appreciate it. And even if maybe my previous criticisms are still there, they're sort of overwhelmed by this other positivity. And what I came to the conclusion of is that that movie is so full of stuff. 
so full of different <laughs> elements and characters and portrayals of different elements of Hollywood history I, that I can, there's a I lot. I agree with you on that point. <laughs> yes, it's a film full of stuff. And my point is this: it's really dense yeah. and it's full of material that you can totally fall in love with one part of it, and if the other parts don't work, who gives a shit? Like it's just that kind of a film. So I can appreciate that, but for me, a lot of things still uh, still keep it down. Um, but my point is this: you're going to run into people who are mad at you for a review, and if you're in particular, and and this is just shitty that this is a reality, but unfortunately, there are, I've I've gotten people saying that I should die mm. because I didn't like Rambo Five, like I, it's horrible and stupid, but it's I did a, get that. But I got a small fraction of what some other critics get online. And yeah, oftentimes I'm, it's because they're women or because they're people of color. I was about to color. say, we're, we're, we're white cis men. We're, we are yeah. not being abused for... Uh, not on that for, level, for, that's for yeah, sure. Yeah, for our gender or... Uh, oh, definitely know, not, w- Women no. get it get it worst. Um, it's, and it's awful and it's, it's terrible and everyone who isn't speaking up about it should. They should be constantly talking about how shitty that is yeah, because and, it's nonsense. Uh, so the advice we give you... Yeah. And this is something we've said multiple times before. Don't read the comments. Try not to. If if yeah. you are a film critic and you are confident in your opinion and you are confident that you wrote something that accurately encapsulates mm-hmm. how you feel about a film and how and accurately describes what the experience of seeing that film would be like, you can write it, you can put it out there and you don't have to do anything else with it. Yeah, the only trick is sometimes people will seek you out and they'll like tag you on Twitter and then you get like an I've, alert and that part sucks. I've and gotten private messages. I've even gotten like private emails yeah. before where people R- Rambo 5 was like such a hotly contested film fuck? why was everyone it's, like why it's was a, it's everyone really it's a really, really horrible movie it's, it's yeah. just horrible it's it's like racist it feeds into a lot of unsavory fantasies yeah uh, I wrote as much in a review of Rambo Same. and um I actually got a call from my editor in advance of its publishing saying yeah. uh some people read your review you're gonna get a, a really heavily attacked in on like social media for the next 48 hours, and after that, it dies down. Uh-huh. So I'm, I'm did it die down after 48 hours? It did. Okay. It Every once in a while, I still get an email just for that one movie. <laughs> oh my god, it's so fucking weird. But in any case, my point is this: um, it it does die down. Hmm. Um, usually, oh, my, my review is quoted in Breitbart. Nice. That's for Hollywood not getting it. Yeah, it's like yeah. here's here's some like woke nice. leftist liberal critic who just doesn't understand what Rambo's all about. Right. Man. So well, that's yeah, that's awesome. But yeah. um, in any case, that 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 shit does die down, and as long as you can stand by what you wrote, that that's all there is to it. Really, it's not your responsibility to say to to uh, echo anyone else's opinions or to predict anyone else's opinions. It's your uh, it's the, your responsibility to explain your own as clearly and hopefully yeah. entertainingly as you can. That's it. Um, the, the, yeah. But it's not. It's the. It's one of the worst parts of being a critic. The other part is it's really hard to make money at it. Uh, yeah, like, just uh, really hard. <laughs> so I. There's. It's not an easy it, profession. No one's pretending mm. it isn't. But it can be really rewarding if it's the thing you want to do. Mm. So just that's what I'll say. Um, but uh, regarding the other thing about slam dunk reviews, there are some critics who are so <laughs> unbelievably good at what they do, and I do not think I'm one of them. I'm flattered that I may have had a couple of good reviews out there, but I don't think I'm one of them. There's some really brilliant critics out there who are so good that I actually tried to, whenever possible, stop reading reviews at least until after I've written my own. Oh, and I never read a review before yeah. I've written my I, own. I almost never do. Like, yeah. it's it's really, 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 really rare. And 
I think that's the sort of thing where I I need to watch a movie with a clear head. It's my responsibility to give my opinion, mm-hmm. unfiltered, un, uh, uh, not bounce it off of someone else's like from the get go. Um, and then after I articulate how I feel about it, then I might read a few others if I'm interested or if it sounds like they have an interesting take. Um, and sometimes that does affect the way I feel about a movie. I, uh, For me, the slam dunk review that I point to a lot of people hmm. is Jordan Searles' review of Green Book, which is just <laughs> every fucking thing wrong with that movie. I, yeah. That movie came out, and I'm, I'm watching this piece of crap, and I'm like, okay, but here's the problem with this piece of crap. It's competently produced. <laughs> Like it's still like it's well acted, it's well shot. Like you can watch it and maybe you think it's fine. And a part of me was just sort of like, I can't really like call it like awful because on this sort of baseline level, it's doing some stuff okay. And then I read her review and how she clearly outlines how the just okayness about that movie makes it so fucking shitty. And I'm remembering it like half. I'm not going to quote it or anything because I don't have it in front of me. But like, read that review. That is the ultimate review of Green Book for me. Mm-hmm. That review fucking yeah. gets it. And that I, it's hard to see the movie the same way after. Yeah. If you, if other people like that movie, if you like that movie, I recommend reading this review. Keep an open mind. You don't have to change your mind, but consider another perspective. I think it might shift your perspective on the film, but I think in a way that might be good for personal growth, not just like, oh, I want to take away a movie from you. Like, no, I want you to like yeah. maybe see. Uh, how maybe looking at movies from a different angle is important. I'm trying to think of uh, like singular reviews that I feel like just nailed it. Cause I, I will write my own review and then I'll check up on my peers. Sure. Just some of them are very, very smart and I, I like reading film reviews and I like reading film reviews from very talented critics of which I happen to know quite a good number. Um, and I, I know so many that I kind of know the personality of the critic going in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am consistently impressed with Justin Chang. Oh my God. Uh, like, Chang. like Justin Chang and uh, so good. Like he, he's so good. It kind of makes me mad. Cause yeah. like, I'm not going to be that good. The bar is way just, too yeah, high. He just sort yeah. of like breezes through these things. He's, he's, he's one really, of the best. He's really brilliant reviews. Um, uh, I felt the same way about when I first discovered Karina Longworth, and then mm-hmm. I learned that she was younger than me, and I was extra pissed <laughs> off. Same with Amy Nicholson. It's yeah. like, wait, no, you're like, you're like four years young. No, <laughs> I miss seeing the reviews. I love Alonzo Duralde, but I mm. miss seeing the reviews of Dave White in print more often. Yeah, Dave White yeah. used to the co-host of Linoleum Knife uh, with mm. Alonzo Duralde, which is a podcast you should absolutely be listening to if you like ours. There, we we. We, we really took a lot of inspiration from them. They're one of the best movie review podcasts out there. They're, and they're good friends. Yeah. Um, but uh, Alonzo Duralde is a brilliant critic, and so is Dave White. But Dave White used to write reviews. He used to be the main critic for a site called Movies.com. And then when he left that position, he just doesn't write as much anymore. He still will. But like discovering his movie reviews was just like, God, he was funny. He still is, but like yeah. his 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 print reviews, they're just really funny, and they they manage to cut to the quick, like make really salient points, but without being like scholarly about it. But they still have that sort of like scholarly insight. Like just he just nailed it. He's such a good writer. <laughs> yeah. <Ugh. laughs> yeah. So there there are plenty of wonderful critics out there. Yeah. Um, the one review that I love keep going. Uh, I keep returning to, and I've cited it on this before. It's not a film review. Mm. It's a music review. Uh, Chuck Klosterman oh, is, yeah. is a very good uh, music writer. I, I think music reviews are actually incredibly f- uh, fascinating. 
they tend to get incredibly florid with the language because you have to describe the experience of listening to music and Mm -hmm. also fold it into some vague sense of what the music scene is. Like imagine, like think about like when you're reading a movie review, when you're listening to a movie review and there's got to be that point in a review where you just have to walk through the plot a little bit. Describe what the film is on a practical, like just on a practical level on a film or in a TV show or in a book, there's typically a chronological narrative, a beginning, middle and end. And it's relatively easy to sort of give people the gist of what the piece of art is like. Music can be amorphous. Music can be, completely on a different level so writing good music criticism writing music criticism that evokes the music you're writing about even to people who haven't listened to it so difficult it's really difficult it's it's really really interesting and uh, Chuck Klosterman wrote a review of Chinese Democracy which was the uh, very long in the making Guns N' Roses record a couple of decades it took for that right it took 13 years for Axl Rose to put that thing together and and, yeah I think they they and Chuck Klosterman, I think, listed there were like 73 musicians who worked on it. Yeah. Everything was like, it sounded like it, and he described it accurately as sounding like it had been in progress for 13 years. Yeah. It just mixed and tinkered remixed and tinkered and tinkered and tinkered. And there's all this weird, it's it's a big listen. Like, there's a lot to listen to on that record. Is it good? Arguably, yeah. And then uh, the same year, Metallica put out a new record called Death Magnetic and just sort of blew it out of the water. <laughs> Cranked it out it over a weekend, well, too. Uh, uh, it was um, uh, Rick Rubin was the producer on that one, who's sort of like, sort of like the like getting getting Rick Rubin to produce your record is like having the Pope bless you. It's like it, it's a big deal. Yeah. And uh, uh, now I want to sneeze next to the Pope. And Rick, Rick, <laughs> <laughs> has that God, ever happened? God like bless, bless you, my God, son. And all of a sudden, like there's this angelic halo <laughs> all around it. God bless you. Yes. <laughs> I did it! It's like you tricked the Pope. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, I could I could talk about Death Magnetic all night. But yeah, um, yeah Chuck Losterman wrote this really wonderful review that started with the the sentiment that uh, it he can't reviewing this record is like reviewing a unicorn. Yeah, it's like should I like go into the technicals of it or should I just marvel that it exists at all? Mm. And I, I've always liked his his description of, of Chinese mm. democracy. Oh, I'll give you another good one. Uh, this was uh, and this is actually from someone who uh, sometimes listens to the show. Maybe she's mm. listening right now. Uh, Lady Night the Brave has a mm. wonderful YouTube channel full of really painstakingly crafted video essays. Uh, and you should totally check that out. And uh, <laughs> they have way a much bigger audience than we do. And they deserve it. And they deserve it. Yeah. I want that clear. Uh, but uh, the review of the Happy Death Day uh, uh, movies nails it. Hmm. Like really gives those movies like the the critical evaluation that they deserve. Because they're really good. And they're really interesting. Even the second one, which I think a lot of people overlooked. Um, and I think that's just spot on. I would tell anyone like to look at that video essay for like a great, mm. just a truly great video essay. And who was the one who did um, that that great Glenner Glenda uh, oh, video uh, essay? Uh, uh, her, Glenn, name, her, name is Glenn, her name is Glenn. Her name is Glenner Yeah, that that um, video essay we discovered when we did uh, Glenner Glenda on um, mm. uh, episode zero uh, from a critic named Glenner Glens is a re- completely changed the way I look at that mm. movie. Like really, just an yeah. excellent 
critical evaluation of the artistic complexities of a work of art most people have long since disregarded like 50 years ago and it's really very powerful and potent and there's a couple of lines in that review that i quote semi-regularly now (laughs) just because i don't think anyone's put it better so i would highly recommend looking up a g-l-o-u-d-e-r-g-l-e i think it's one g-l-e-n-s yeah look at glowder glenn's review of Mm. glenn or glenda and just sit back and just watch one of the most critically reviled motion pictures ever made all of a sudden seemed like one of the greatest and it's mm. you and at the end you're like shit kind of or, or at the the very least uh, important and when, That's what I mean, when a yeah. film is important sometimes it doesn't matter how good it is yeah a film can be uh, really uh groundbreaking in terms of representation and concepts mm. and still be a piece of shit yeah uh that's you know, it, but basically, you'll, under, you'll understand. Thing. You'll understand the greater relevance of it. Mm-hmm. I think, um, and it's worth noting. It's worth knowing that. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. got really good. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, look up Glauder Glenn's. Uh, Glauder Glenn's essays aren't aren't getting a lot of traction. Well, they, they don't. They, they don't, don't have hundreds of thousands of views, and they but, also uh, don't. They also they have don't have a million of them out there either. Mm-hmm. And um, but uh, yeah, please check at least check that one out because yeah. it's really really good. All right, let's move on. Uh, um, what's the next letter? Here's a letter from Josh from Miami. Uh, hey, Josh. Hey, Bobby and Whitney. Hey, Bobby. Uh, it says Bobby. Hi. Um, you're, you're a Billy, though. Were you ever <laughs> Billy or were you just William? No, I was never a Billy. Sometimes people tried to call me Bill, but everyone called my dad Bill. Okay. Or Bib, singular. Mm-hmm. So uh, we everyone called me William to avoid confusion mm-hmm. or Bibs since I was the second, and that makes it plural. Yeah. If, if you were Bill Bib, yeah. you'd be like a... a Dodgers baseball announcer. There you go. That's Bill Bibb. Hey, this is Bill Bibb, and this is Dodger baseball. Yeah. A&W Root Beer has brought uh, this particular episode of Dodger baseball to you. Make sure you drink some. Anyway, Bob Schmackadoo has hit the ball, and boy, did that go pretty far before someone caught it. Any real baseball player's name is that to be Bob Schmackadoo. I don't know their names. Especially not currently. Oh, well. Yeah, I, I could probably yeah. list a, a couple Dodgers from like the 80s. Like Oral, Oral, Oral Hershiser. There you go. Popped that pop fly in the outfield. <laughs> and Fernando uh, Valenzuela pitched yeah. another. Anyway. Moving on. Um, hey, Bobby and Whitney. I'm Bob, I'm Josh from Miami. Hi. Uh, I just finished listening to your, <coughs> excuse me, your summer blockbuster movie draft. And I thought of making one of my own. I'm going the Whitney route. This was a while ago. That's a while ago, yeah. This. Yeah. Um, we were on a screen draft, or no? We did a no, no screen draft. We did the day of the uh, the, did the, the animal, animal attacks. attacks. Yeah, we we came up with a, a listicle of like summer blockbuster movies, mm-hmm. like our own best summer blockbuster movies. And yeah. I like took a sideways approach and came up with movies that I wished could be celebrated, like summer blockbusters. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Um, I thought it was. I thought I would make one of my own, and I'm going Whitney's route and listening to some movie and listing some movies that were released all year round. Because let's face it, studios sometimes drop the ball on movie releases. So here's my list. Uh, number ten for a summer horror movie, I chose Jordan Peele's Us. Mm. I think this movie should have been released in the summer instead of in February. It takes place in the summertime at the beach. The family is staying in a summer home, and the youngest son is wearing a Jaws shirt. This. Uh, this would be released in May when everyone is still in school and everyone have, will have discussions on it with their AP English teacher who was born in the 80s. Oh, golly, do I feel old. I love that movie so much. It, I, it's, it's, it doesn't quite come together quite as well as Get Out, but mm-hmm. I think it's just, it's just as instantly like, mm-hmm. it's a weird idea and then once it's over, you're just like, and that's what that is now. Mm-hmm. Like, he just came up with a brand new horror concept and it works. He came up with a, new, came up with a, a bunch of new concepts and just mm-hmm. sort of like, 
poured them all out on a desk and say, look, it's a movie. Look, look. Oh, it's, not it's, really, it's, but okay. It's maybe a little more complicated than it needs to be and maybe doesn't hold up to scrutiny, but on a dream logic level, it's perfect. I love that movie. All right. Uh, no, I, I, I admire its ambition, and I think yeah. there's a lot of scary stuff in it, but yeah. I think it's also... Doesn't really cohere as like a feature film. Perhaps not, but Lupita mm. Nyong'o definitely should have been nominated for an Oscar. She's incredible for that mm. film. Um, number nine, for my summer comedy, I chose Project X from 2012. Ooh. This movie came out when I was in high school and everyone was talking about it to the point where every weekend you were getting text invites for a Project X type house party. Uh, the soundtrack is incredible. Uh, this is great. End of my release to get everyone for those end of school parties. I never end saw Project release. X. That was the uh, found footage, like... Uh, Animal House type movie, right? Yeah, Where it's all, yeah. or, or more of like a bachelor party, I guess, with Tom Hanks. But like, it's going to be the biggest party ever, but it's like found footage found, style. Found footage, yeah. Sex comedy. Is that Miles sort of Teller in that? Oh, I don't remember right? that. Yeah, I never saw. I, never I saw. saw. I saw Project X, the one with Matthew Broderick from what the eighties. Okay, so there's this movie called Project X. It's from the eighties. Stars Matthew Broderick, and it's about like training chimpanzees to, to fly, fly, fly fighter jets. Yeah. Fly fighter jets. That's what that shit's about. Yeah. yeah. Is that like a prequel to Lawnmower Man? <laughs> uh, Lawnmower Man drew, I, I think it's based on a true story where they were trying to teach chimps how to like fly war machinery. Mm. Neat. And, okay. And, yeah, Matthew Broderick plays like the trainer. Yeah. Uh, uh, number eight for the action ca- sequel category, I chose Rush Hour 2. This is my favorite buddy cop movie. I would watch it on repeat as a kid. There's never a dull moment in the film. I think it should be in the conversation as one of the best movie sequels. I'm not a fan of the Rush Hour movies. I actually, I've actually only ever seen like the first one all the way through. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think Brett Ratner's particularly interesting filmmaker, but I know a lot of people like those movies, and I know a lot mm-hmm. of it is just the personalities of the cast, and I totally get it. Well, they uh, they were one of those things where you can see why people were excited about it. Sure. They were excited about those movies. They were big hits, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, they're they're charming. They're exciting. There's action sequences in them. The Jackie two, Chan and Chris Tucker is a good have, combo. Have great they're chemistry great. together. Yeah, I don't think it elevates anything at all it's like straight up the middle so it appealed to a broad audience and sure you know i'm, I'm not gonna lambast them i'm not gonna fight it too hard I'm, I'm, too I, I, i've never I said, i've never seen two and three all the way through i don't have firm opinions about them just didn't care to finish yeah. them so there's the criticism right. there and the first one i thought was just generic and fine it's fine yeah. you know i just don't think it's very interesting but no, but again, uh, kudos. I know a lot of people really love them. I'm happy you like that movie. Good Rush job. Hour, Rush yeah. Hour 2. Uh, number seven in the sci-fi action category, I chose Attack the Block. Yeah. This would definitely be an under-the-radar film when you were taking... <laughs> You would take a date and end up paying more attention to the film than to your date. Uh, the film is just straight up fun and definitely would make money on repeat viewings. Um, I yeah, it, I, yeah, I like Attack the Block a lot. That movie just keeps getting better every time I revisit mm-hmm. that. And then, then you're gonna, finally going to do a follow-up. I heard that. Joe, yeah, that's, a, that's kind of interesting. I wonder what they're going to do with that. I hope people take time to seek out Joe Cornish's other film, The Kid That Would Be King, because that one was ah, really good, too. That's cool. Um, yeah, Attack the Block was one of those th- films that came sort of like pre-Comic-Con approved. It's like, oh, they screwed it at Comic-Con and everybody yeah. loved it. It's like, oh, no. Yeah, which <laughs> I, means I, that, the mainstream's going to go like, eh. But then, uh, yeah. But then, I, but then I saw it. It's like, oh, wait, this one's actually, this one's legit. That, one's that's really legit. Good. Like, yeah. I feel like, I feel like Attack the Block is kind of the tremors of its generation where it kind of came <laughs> out of nowhere. It's got weird monsters. Mm-hmm. got a really great ensemble cast. Except unlike Tremors, there's actually like a really good streak of social commentary in it. So it feels like a bit more deep. It's really fucking good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, in the sports movie category, I choose Bring It On. Yay! I can see girls bringing their reluctant boyfriends to this movie, and even they would be cheering towards the end. When I think of summers, summers in my high school, I think of movies that had, uh, that everyone was quoting in this movie definitely had that and has a great has great underdog sports moments. Yeah, the first Bring It On still still a hoot. I think and parts mm-hmm. of it have aged poorly. I think any teen movie will. Uh, yeah, well, but but the overall energy of it and just the sort of um, I think there's a good moral ethical lesson in there about the importance of you know succeeding or failing on your own merits yeah not just because you can winning isn't everything winning the right way is and yeah, um, yeah that's really really good, it's a good I, film. I keep expecting like I I would love to see a reboot of Bring It On. But from the perspective of the Clovers and Gabrielle Union. Oh, there you go. Like, I feel like that's the way to do that reboot. Although, they're going to do... They're, they're, they're doing Bring It On colon Halloween. Yeah. Where it's... it's They're doing a horror movie version of Bring, Bring It On, which yeah. is in canon with the other six. And that's uh, going to be uh, written and, I think, directed or co-directed by Rebecca McKendry, who we've had on our, some of our podcasts. Yeah, she was our boss for a little bit. Yeah. yeah, when we were writing for Blumhouse. So, good for her. That's a great pitch. I yeah. wish I'd thought of that. Uh, bring it on Christmas is next. Please. What are you doing? Why did that take so long? Ooh, uh, step up to the dead. Zombie step up movie. You know, uh, uh, Moose, Adam G. Savani did a, uh, like a fan tribute video to Thriller where he just recreated Thriller. Oh, there so you go. So why not? Just make yeah, it canon. Man. There you go. Uh, in the animation category, I choose SpongeBob SquarePants movie. Yay. Uh, it's... It is literally the one under the sea movie. Oh shoot, I lost. A uh, little under the sea movie, and you can also put it at this in the road trip category because you follow SpongeBob and Patrick on their journey. And what's more thrilling than SpongeBob fighting the bad guy Dennis, played by Alec Baldwin, on top of a shirtless David Hasselhoff in the ocean? Do you see the first? I, I actually movie? am a big fan of the first. I, I yeah. actually, I, I don't think I've seen the others, but the first one I thought was like, it, it's kind of a sugar rush and maybe it gets a little overbearing after a while but it's also like really inventive and very very sweet and funny i like that first movie a lot and that and that, that second one is insanity yeah, like you just it's like oh and we're gonna trip balls and meet cosmic dolphins that shoot lasers out of their blowholes in distant galaxies for a scene and then we'll go back to the rest of the movie cool yeah uh number four in the superhero category i choose kick ass even though that one made money in 2010, I think it would have made more money now as counter-programming to Marvel and DC. Just how look, uh, how weak the show's, uh, the sh- how the how well the show The Boys is doing, and you can and now you can have a summer with Nicolas Cage in it. Uh, I'm I, not a fan, honestly. We've, we've I, talked I, about I, this actually, a lot. I actually really hate those kick-ass movies. I think they're they're uh, they're, they're just. There's this morally loathsome category, like they, underpinning. They're, to a they're lot getting of this stuff. off on their mean spiritedness in a way that I find just unpleasant. However, I get why people like them, but I just find them immature. Well, and, I, I and not and not in like a fun way because like like SpongeBob yeah. is immature, like in the way that's like we're saying and doing really fucked up things because we're young and we think that's just fun to do yeah, and not because yeah. we're actually thinking it through and like presenting them in a way yeah. that means anything. And I, I feel the way about the Kingsman movies as well. I'm just, I'm just not a fan. Yeah. yeah. Same director and same writer, I believe. Uh, yeah. I, uh, or again, based I, on the same comic book. Uh, Mark author, Miller, Mark like, Miller worked yeah. on a lot of, and, and I, I actually like several Matthew Vaughn movies. I think layer mm. cake is good. I think, uh, what's, what's the, what's the fantasy movie he did? Um, uh, um, Stardust, like oh, yeah. Stardust that is quite good. good. No. I think his X Men movie is arguably the best X Men movie that they did, like straight up X Men movie, like yeah, X Men like, Five, right? Yeah, of, of the ones that actually are about like the whole bunch of X Men, I think that's arguably the best one. Um, but um, yeah, I don't know, man. He's he's got a mean streak that just yeah, I I find off putting. 
it's it, it's one thing if you're if you're gonna make an angry movie about yeah. young kids who do violence, own that. Own, yeah. See, these are angry kids who are doing violence. Yeah, make, that's make of, your repo that, man. That's, yeah, that's your... dark, that's dark and shitty and kind of punk. Yeah. And uh, but yeah. he's not. He's not telling it that way. He's saying that these these kids are dark and shitty and they do violence and that's really awesome. Yeah, that's, that's the yeah. I'm not a fan. Yeah, not a fan. So yeah, I'm I know a lot of people like it. Again, I'm, I'm the maybe I'm the outlier, but not a fan. Yeah, uh, in the romance category, Ooh. I choose true romance. This film has literally sweat dripping off it. It would be a great August release. Now the film has many flaws, but I can't help but love the chemistry between Christian Slater and, and Patricia Arquette. Uh, I know you can't really speak to this because Quentin Tarantino wrote it, but yeah. I like true romance. Mm-hmm. I think it's um, it's fucked up in some ways that maybe it didn't need to be that fucked up, but I actually mm-hmm. think that just the cast brings it, and mm-hmm. I think Tony Scott directs the hell out of that one. I like that one a lot. No comment. Uh, number two, in the monster and disaster film category, I choose Deep Blue Sea. Yay! I think every summer should have some type of, uh, some body of water in it. Well, I suppose SpongeBob would take care of that. Wow. Uh, this whole film takes place in the ocean. I'm just a sucker for intense scenes when characters are trapped in a room full of water holding onto their last breath. Yeah. And then they hide in an oven, and a shark turns the <laughs> oven on with its fin. The shark got smarter, so it's fine. <laughs> Deep Blue Sea is fine. Deep Blue Sea is a stupid movie. But it's, it is very fun, and it knows exactly what kind of movie it is. I respect that. It's reached the level of being overrated. Yeah, great. Yeah, it's like, probably it's probably a little. It, it was, it was dis- kind of dismissed upon release. Yeah. Some people liked it. It made some money, but then it came and went. And then it then had this little renaissance about you know fifteen twenty years later when people said no, this one's actually really really fun, and now we're reaching the point where people are saying no, Deep Blue Sea is like a stone cold classic. Okay, let's I feel not like, go that far. I feel like Deep let's, Blue let's, Sea was like a <laughs> Deep Blue Sea was like a solid three star uh-huh. action sci fi horror movie mm. that got derided as a one star when it came out, and that wasn't fair. And now I feel like some people. Treat it like a four star and what I would like to do is I would take the, like to take that extra star and I would like to give that to the other aquatic monster movie that came out in the late 90s mm. Deep Rising which which, I, which has also been rescued which, it's it's well regarded it's, um, I still think it doesn't have quite the same cachet as uh, mm. Deep Blue Sea so if you've never seen Deep Rising uh, Steven, it's a it's a treat. Yeah, it's from Stephen Summers who also it, he did it the year before he did The Mummy Yeah, and so you can see sort of his like clunky B-movie sensibility uh, leaking through. Imagine the Poseidon adventure, but it's also a heist movie and there's a sea monster. Yeah. That's a great pitch. Uh, <laughs> That's the, an amazing pitch. The movie itself is fine. Kevin J. O'Connor, uh, who, who's also in The Mummy, is, is really, really funny in it. And, Treat uh, Williams, I think, is underappreciated. Drew Williams just a, is, is... Just in is general, a, I think he's a wonderful actor. He's he's quite a fine actor. He's really good yeah. as the villain in that movie, The Phantom. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, the movie itself is fine, but when you get to uh, like the stinger at the very end, that's oh, the best part of the movie. God, I would have killed for that <laughs> sequel. That's a good kick ass. Anyway, and number one, uh, finally, for the film that's going to win the summer in the epic film category, I choose mm. <laughs> The Mummy with Brendan Fraser. <laughs> Bre- excuse me, Brendan Fraser. I, I yeah, got it wrong. You got it. Okay. Um, growing up in the early 2000s, I consider this film to be my Indiana Jones. It has great action set pieces and, uh, and the... Great puzzles and romance and great characters. This is my Lawrence of Arabia. Mm, that one will fight you a little bit, but that's yours. It's yours. You can have it. Yeah, <laughs> I think that might be yeah. maybe a bit much, but okay. Um, uh, <laughs> looking at your list, um, and this this is not pejorative, but I, I can kind of guess your age. Uh, <laughs> somebody put out there, you know, here, here's the challenge. Is this film an underappreciated classic? 
or did you see it when you were 14? Yeah. Uh, because you can often conflate those two things. And I found that a lot of films that I just sort of saw on a weekend in the 90s mm-hmm. are now being sort of like hauled up out of mothballs. Yeah, remember when we saw Double Jeopardy? Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I saw Double it's, Jeopardy. It's fine. It's okay. It's yeah. an okay movie. <laughs> yeah. But by all means, watch it. Revisit Never. it. Enjoy it. Like, but by all not, means. But let's not every okay movie you saw 20 years ago deserves to be like... I, I, I consider this again. kind of the Turner Classic Movies effect, where mm. at some point, if it came out in the 40s, we just call it a classic now. Yeah, even if, uh, there's even a lot of crap that movie. came out in the 40s. <laughs> I've watched a lot of it. Like that, just because it's old doesn't mean it's classic. Um, is that the end of the letter? Uh, they're just uh, sorry yeah. for the long email. I don't have any friends I can talk movies with, so this is my way of vetting my love of film. Thanks, guys. Oh, well, happy to give you that opportunity, and uh, that's a fun list. Again, we don't we don't always love the same movies, and that's fine. Uh, the original Stephen Summers Mummy is a hoot. I like that movie. It's really enjoyable. I think uh, I think action wise, I think Stephen Summers sometimes struggles with stuff like spatial continuity in a way that like some of the films he's evoking, like Raiders of the Lost Ark, just don't. I think it's a little just hazy, yeah. and you're getting the idea of the action more than the actual action. But um, honestly, that that movie works because Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weisz have amazing yeah. chemistry. They're so good in that movie. I, I went to uh, a film school in 99, 2000, right when The Mummy came out. And uh, I remember, like, the big weekend came out. All of the all of the students went to go see it. Yeah. It's like, this is big, dumb action blockbuster. Mm-hmm. We're going to go see it. It's fun. And, yeah, people were stoked. And people came in and uh, people liked it. Nobody was, like, loving it. Nobody's good, like, rushing up to the professor. Man, you really need to see this movie, The Mummy. Yeah, it's, it's, the it's like, no, everybody said we saw The Mummy. That but, was the big blockbuster that but weekend. But everyone liked it. Yeah. That's the uh, thing. Everyone enjoyed it. Everyone enjoyed it. Everyone agreed it was at least, like, a three-star fun yeah. movie. Yeah, and that's, yeah, a, that's yeah. enough. But, uh, most people were, like, necking with their dates. <laughs> I was sure. like, oh, yeah, I took exactly. my date. And we just made out through the whole movie. It was that great for that. Great for that kind yeah. of movie. And uh, the professor said, yes, I also saw The Mummy. Uh, now I'm going to teach you about something called spatial continuity and how <laughs> how you can't tell what the hell is going on in that movie and the editing. And then he put on the Battle of Algiers as a contrast. Nice. And I, I thought, this is like, this is why I'm in film school. I want the double yeah. feature of Stephen Summers' The Mummy and the Battle of Algiers as a way of like communicating film language. And I actually think that's a really good point. I think The Mummy is a good example of a film that is perfectly enjoyable. It's very easy to enjoy that movie. But it's also very easy once you've seen like some of the films that it's like riffing on mm-hmm. to see what it doesn't do quite as well. And it's a really good way to sort of take something you like, not ruin it, mm-hmm. but then use that as a launch pad to appreciate even better films. Yeah. Or at the very least films that I think have more to offer. And that's exciting. I think that's some of the best part of film school, honestly. And that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons why we have episode zero, working your way backwards, really. really yeah, cool. yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, the, the Mummy. First of all, it it is a remake, so it's you know clearly inspired by a whole you know generations of Mummy films that preceded it. But yeah, it wears its influences on its sleeve. It's yeah. you know all kinds of adventure films. All right, uh, let's no, uh, here's another letter. Um, here's a letter from Michael. Hi, Michael. Um, hi, hi, Bibbs and Whitney. As a, the parent of a child with autism, huh? one of the more accurate portrayals. Oh, and this is we actually. Yeah. I'll put this out to our listeners. Um, I think the previous we've got mail. Someone asked us someone for asked, positive portrayals of yeah, how, autism and people on spectrum. How autism is rarely done correctly or well in feature films. Yeah, and so they asked us for our recommendations, and we we can't bring it. No, we don't have um, enough so, personal experience in that in that re- uh, field. Uh, to speak confidently, so we we put it out there to our listeners. Mm-hmm. Anyone who is autistic or has, per- you know, directly knows people who are family members, etc., and can speak to this with more personal experience than we can, we would love to hear from you. Mm-hmm. And we've already got one. That's yeah, great. Okay. So, um, 
As the parent of a child with autism, one of the more accurate portrayals of a person with autism that I've seen was in the 1989 Fred Savage movie, The Wizard. Interesting. Uh, although the Luke Edwards character, Jimmy, appears to have a uh, savant syndrome, his mannerisms and fixation on getting to California to the point that he tried to open the door of a moving car were characteristics with which I'm very familiar. Huh. Um, however... It was TV that had the most accurate, accurate and unintentional portrayals of a person on the spectrum in Abed on Community and Sheldon. Abed? Abed? Abed. Abed. Abed on Community and Sheldon on The Big Bang Theory. Uh. In the case of Sheldon, I believe the creators only said he wasn't autistic to avoid the criticism they would have received for the way his character was treated. The ritualistic way he knocked on doors, assigned everyone seats in his apartment, and designated certain days for certain foods were just a few of the several hallmarks of autism he displayed. And thanks for keeping us entertained through the pandemic, Michael. Thank you, Michael. Yeah. That's that's great to know. And again, we're, we're still looking. Uh, we're still very curious to see if anyone else has any other... Uh, 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 again, we're looking for people who have really know what they're talking about, personal yeah. experience, and uh, can let us know what other positive and respectful and fair portrayals of people with autism there are. Mm. Uh, in the media, because there are too few. Uh, so feel uh, feel free if you have uh, if you want to join in that conversation, we would love to boost that signal. So thank uh, you. and and in fact, here's another one. Here's a, here's a letter from Oliver. Uh, hey, Bib, hey, Bibs, and Skimbleshanks, the railway cat. <laughs> <laughs> Pronounced Rockmeister McCool. Okay. Uh, I am an autistic listener. And I heard you ask on your letters episode about good autistic media. As a day job, I work around the theater in Brisbane, Australia. And one of the projects I'm currently working on uh, is a cabaret called The No Bang Theory about my relationship with autistic media and how it affects my relationship with the world, particularly when it comes from my dating life. As such, I have a unique perspective on autistic media. So I thought it would be, this would be a good opportunity to write in and share my perspective. That's exciting. Thank, Thank you for doing it. Yeah. The major issue with most representation of autistic people is that the creators aren't themselves on the spectrum, so instead fall back on stereotypes like that scene in Rain Man. A prime example of this is the TV show The Big Bang Theory, in which its lead character, Sheldon Cooper, has autistic traits, which the show uses for humor and makes other characters uh, with autism the butt of the joke. To add insult to injury, when confronted with the issue, The Big Bang Theory creators attempted to gaslight their fans by denying that Sheldon ever had autism in the first place. Mm. So there's a little counterpoint on Sheldon. Okay. Um, the other issue facing most autistic media is a refusal to cast autistic actors in the roles. Yeah. Uh, take the show Atypical, which cast the lead autistic character with a non-autistic actor, and when the, confronted with this, uh, claimed that the show needed an actor with name recognition, but had instead cast an actual autistic actor in the much smaller supporting role. Saya's movie Music took the issue one step further when Saya claimed that there were no autistic actors of, ta of the talent level she needed uh. to play the role in the movie. This is despite the fact that her current Best Actor winner, Anthony Hopkins, is on the spectrum, so it's not like there aren't artistic actors out there. Mm -hmm. uh, as for good, explicitly autistic media, I would highly recommend the television show Everything is Going to Be Okay. Hmm. The show was created by an Australian autistic actor-slash-writer, Josh Thomas, and stars himself, as well as other autistic performers in lead roles. I don't know where the show is streaming in the United States, but for any Australian listeners, the show is on Stan. I'm guessing that's an Australian uh, streaming I service. So. I actually don't know Stan. Um, the other autism media I recommended are the stand-up specials of autistic comedians Hannah Gatsby, also Australian, mm -hmm. uh, Nanette and Douglas, both of which are on Netflix. Uh, hopefully everyone will be able to add some of... Uh, Add some of the theater that I made make put on this list. Serve for the long-winded email, uh, Oliver. Oliver, thank you so much. Thank you for the counterpoints and uh, thank you mm. for those recommendations. I I hadn't heard a couple of those. Yeah. So mm. uh, that's great. Thank you so much. 
Seriously, this is awesome. I love I love being able to put the the put the word out and get people to come in and yeah, share well, the share what they know that we just we can't offer. Well, and and also learn myself. I, yeah. I, I need to know. I need to know these sorts of things. Yeah, I need to know when it's being done well and when it's being done badly. Yeah, uh, and you know, I I. I, I like we'll never be we'll never be the end all be all authority, yeah. but it's good to have a better sense of mm. what's fair and what's not, and not just mm. look. When we're young, we just trust the media to give us what we need to get by, and the older we get, the more you realize that there were a lot of lazy hacks out there who yeah. were just going yeah. by on stereotypes and shit that they remembered from when they mm. were a kid, and they didn't actually do a lot of research. Some do. A lot of them don't. Mm-hmm. So we need to question these things and we need to yeah, listen to people who actually know what they're talking about before we really form any strong opinions about some of this stuff. Yeah. 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 Um, another letter? Please. Here's, yeah, a letter from, here's a letter from Brandon. Hello, Brandon. Hi. Uh, greetings to my two favorite film critics. Oh. Oh, yeah. Who? Um, oh. <laughs> anyway. Uh, has it been long enough? It's been long enough. I'm in a critically acclaimed episode a few weeks ago. Uh, William mentioned that he had uh, an, interpret- an interpretation to the ending of the film Together Together that differed from most other critics. I saw the movie and thought it was really nice and cute. Thanks for another solid recommendation. After thinking about it for a bit, I couldn't, however, figure out what William's interpretation of the ending might be. Ah. Now that it's been a little bit since the movie came out, I wondered if you might be able to give us some further explanation okay. as to what you saw in that final scene or two. Thank you, thank you so much for all you guys do. Brandon. Okay, that's fair. Um, uh, so, bit of uh, a, a, a bit of a setup, and I'll give you a spoiler warning. And uh, but together, together uh, was a film, and I want to make sure I get the uh, both the actors uh, right. It's a comedy oh. starring Ed Helms. Yeah, it was, um, and what's the name of the actress? It's uh, Patty Harrison. Patty Harrison. Yeah, Tig Notaro's in the movie. Yeah, uh, Ed Helms uh, plays a single man, and. He wants a child, and he doesn't have a partner. And so what he does is he enlists a surrogate, played by Patty Harrison, to carry a child to term. And then uh, he will he will raise that child, and she will go off and about her own business. And it's about, while she is pregnant, they form a very close relationship. And over the course of the film, that relationship is just deepened and they become very very good friends they become very very supportive of each other uh and at the end of the movie and this is where i'm going to get into spoiler territory here it's not a kaiser soze thing it's not (laughs) fight club it's not like a gigantic twist i'm just going to talk about the ending of a movie you can probably see where a lot of it is going but if you want to skip ahead by all means do at the end of the movie she gives birth and while she is giving birth ed helms is right there with her like up face level telling her you're in this together you know we're a team all that good stuff and then at the end of the movie the very last like shot as the child is born we just linger on her face as ed helms leaves her goes to see the child and starts giving the child all his affection while she is just alone in the frame recovering and what i saw from that is that in the end this was a transactional relationship that, that that makes sense. I think that I think that's I think that's what they're they're there's there's arguing that maybe they were close, but when all is said and done, he was in this to get something out of it, hmm. and his connection to her was dependent upon her providing a service, which was carrying a child. And now that that's over, that's over, and. At the end of the movie, you know, we, we've seen before there was some some title cards, and the title cards were in the font 
that Woody Allen uses in a lot of his movies. And there's a line of dialogue in the movie where they're talking about how they're criticizing Woody Allen films and talking about how all of them mm-hmm. pretty much are about older men in sort of a vampiric relationship with younger women. They're just getting what they want out of it. Yeah, yeah. And they're talking about how that's bullshit. And at the end of the movie, we reveal that in a way, this was kind of a Woody Allen movie and Ed mm-hmm. Helms got what he wanted. I'm not saying he's evil, but it was transactional. Mm. And for me, that enriched what was otherwise a pretty straightforward comedy about two people getting to know each other and forming a close bond. Because that actually ended up making it a little bit more cynical and looking at like sort of like this is like a little darker than maybe we were looking at. Not mm. dark, but a little darker. So for me, that made it more that's, interesting. That, which is fine. Yeah. yeah. But it's also like the last shot of the movie, and it's really uh, difficult to really get into it in, in great detail without people complaining when right. it, the weekend it comes out. Um, so in any case, that's yeah. the end of spoilers. Windsor Light Condensed is the name of the, the Woody Allen font. Thank you. Um, but anyway, like, that's 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 it. Again, I, I'm not claiming it's a mind blower. It's just the thing that I thought was most interesting, and it made me rethink the rest of the movie, uh, all of their uh, relationship. So... Um, yeah, that's it. Again, I hope I, maybe maybe I built it up too much, and if that's the case, mm. I apologize. But uh, no, that's what I saw. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I I didn't see the movie, but I have uh, heard stories from people who um, have have adopted infants before they were born, mm. and how difficult an experience it was to essentially uh, watch the child be born, pick it up, and walk out of the room with it. Yeah. Like take taking the baby out of the the arms of its of its mother is, yeah. is a really difficult thing to it's do. A weird, it's, it's a weird thing. It's like it's a, a something weird that situation. Ev- everyone in this situation has agreed to it. It's yeah. all on the up and up, but it's also still emotionally wrenching. It doesn't it's make emotion- it easy. It's emotionally so, wrenching. Yeah. And again, it's a transaction. Yeah, and it is a transaction. And there's something kind of dark about that. Mm-hmm. Even even if it is totally agreed upon, everyone's ultimately mm-hmm. happy with it. There's something just a little cold. Mm-hmm. And that's weird. And I think yeah. the movie sort of acknowledges that just a little. And I think that's interesting. Anyway. Right. That's um, Hopefully that helps. I, if, and again, I hope that's not a big letdown, but anyway. Uh, any more or are we, we, we good? We have, we have time for one or two more. <clears throat> All right. Um, good afternoon, gentlemen. A uh, long-time listener, previously written in a bunch, but I've uh, remained in the shadows looking for some quite quite some time. I would first like to thank you two fine human beings for the oodles of content that you've given me, and you've given me stuff to listen to as the apocalypse tried to take over. Uh, thank with, you. With that praise, I must correct you two on three things. Wow. Uh, I'm basically the same age as Bibbs. So his disdain for the following things is baffling. Uh, number one. Okay. Hook is a masterpiece. Okay. <laughs> oh, we went on a rant about how we don't particularly care for Hook, but okay, fine. Hook, Hook is a bad movie. A lot of people uh, love Hook. I acknowledge uh, this. Let's, let's, get, let's give some time to the opposition. Uh, this was one of the first films I saw multiple times in theaters, and yes, I have revisited it recently. As an adult, the cast is incredible. Spielberg finally got to direct another family film uh, after producing a bunch of... And he is on his A-game. The world was magical and believable. And the movie has a memorable characters and lines. Uh, any line by Rufio. <laughs> uh, and there's even a quote here. You are a fart factory, slug-slimed sack of rat guts in cat vomit. Cheesy, scab-picked, pimple-squeezing finger bandage. A week-old maggot burglar with everything on it and flies on the side. Oh, maggot burger, excuse mm. me. I, mm. I misread that. Um... Yes, I know people like Hook. I, I, we, I know, we know it's, it's I've, I've seen it at mid... I was in, in the theater that was showing it at a midnight screening, and it did get quite a rousing reaction. Uh, I don't like Hook. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's... 
clunky, badly thought out, yeah, and way too treacly for its own good. Again, I think there's good stuff in Hook. I really, really do. Uh, but ultimately, I, I articulated it in a whatever recent episode we discussed it, and I think it was we've got mail. Um, I'm just not a fan. I, I, I. It's a movie I gave a bit of a pass to for a really long time, just because I felt like it wasn't worth getting into what I didn't like about it, and maybe what I didn't like about it wasn't worth articulating. And I think I'm I'm past that now. And I think I'm just going to start saying that if there are movies everyone else loves that I just think are kind of junk, I'm just going to just say, not a fan. Here's why, mm-hmm. and that's I that's got to be okay. Yeah. If if it's okay, it's got to be okay that some people just don't like this thing. Everyone else loves. I'm not punching down. Okay, <laughs> everyone else loves Hook. I'm in the mm. I'm in the the smaller group here. Mm. That's just trying to be like, hey, what if it's not good? Shut up, Bibbs. Mm. Sorry. Like that's that's where I'm at in that situation. Yeah. The, the the there's a presumption that everybody about the same age not only watched but equally enjoyed the same movies. Yeah, that's not the case. So it's it's definitely not the case and I've I've gotten a, a lot of stink for the the mm. films I dislike or I didn't watch when yeah. I was a young child. Well, and also sometimes you you I would watch a movie as a mm. child and I'd see it multiple times as a child and there was just something about it that like I couldn't figure out like what is it about this movie that is just weird to me and I was mm. young and I wasn't articulate and I didn't know what I was really talking about. And a good example of this is the movie The Sandlot, which in mm. many respects is really good. Um, it's it's got a great sense of that sort of halcyon fifties. I think it's one of the best examples of like fifties nostalgia in cinema. But it's also completely unflinching in its portrayal of like toxic masculinity and how it like mm. becomes like a petri dish as a little kid. And I think that's something that I was. It is the fifties after I mean, all. It is. I'm um... not pretending it's not. But like at the same time, I'm like I'm watching this and I'm like I realize now that that attitude is something that put me off even as a little kid, but I was so surrounded by it that I just had to accept it as a reality. And now as an adult, I realize that I don't have to Mm -hmm. accept it as reality. I am allowed to say I think that's crap. So even though there's a lot of stuff I like in The Sandlot, there's a lot of stuff I find really off-putting in The Sandlot. Mm -hmm. And I'm not a huge fan of it. I'm allowed to say that. Right. Yeah. I haven't seen The Sandlot. It was a little, little, maybe like a year after my time. Yeah. Like I was... Already like renting Eraserhead from my local video store. I wasn't going to theaters to see the Sandlot. Someone's already writing an email about the Sandlot. Okay, let's move right. on. Let's. Um, there's, there's more. There's, there's oh more God. corrections here. There God. The other correction number two. Okay. Oh, this is gonna hurt so bad. What? What do we? Nineteen ninety six is Space Jam. Is a great oh. family film. Oh. That brought the Looney Tunes back to relevancy after they had faded away due to PC issues. Even Tiny Toons had been off the air for a few years at this point, so Looney Tunes were barely on anyone's mind anymore. Oh, I remember... I remember the Warner Brothers Studio Store. <laughs> it was a dark time. <laughs> yeah, and, the and Disney the store landscape still exists was, some places. Yeah. We used to have the Warner Brothers oh. Store as well. The, and uh. the, the landscape was coated with t-shirts yeah. of Tweety Bird... Dressed in sagging pants, throwing gang signs, and the word attitude appeared behind Tweety Bird's head. (laughs) Desperately trying to keep them relevant. And I would argue that it was a horrendous time, and then the the nadir of this was the the production of Space Jam. I think it's fair to argue that from a corporate perspective, Space Jam was a success. (laughs) I think that's, I think that, but that's not the same as being good. 
I'm I'm not a corporation. Exactly. I don't give a damn. No, no. I think I think you can look at it and say like, look, like Space Jam, you know, was this big hit and it made mm. the Looney Tunes like uh, more contemporarily popular than they had been in a little mm. bit in the '90s, and uh, and like a lot of little kids really liked it. All of that can be true, and it can mm. also still not work. Yeah. And I think for me, Space Jam is this one of the ultimate cynical corporate exercises. It's based on a series of TV commercials. I'm not saying you can't possibly make a good movie out of a TV commercial, but no, it's but, not a great start. But you, you can maybe its intentions aren't so pure. Um, yeah, not we're, uh, we, we've gone anyway. in great detail about what we're not fans of Space Jam. Yeah. Maybe the new one will be good. I don't know, but the first one is not. No, not, no. not in our opinion, obviously. Yeah. Um, obviously. Michael Jordan was at the height of his career and had just come mm. out of retirement and had the star power to pull off this kind of project. The movie is ridiculous, but the Looney Tunes are ridiculous themselves, so you kind of have to expect that. I took my son to see it at the drive-in last summer, and it was still fun. Uh, I, I'm happy you enjoyed it. I'm not going to pretend other people don't enjoy it. I don't think it's good Looney Tunes. I think yeah. the Looney Tunes actually don't do good Looney Tunes stuff. I think the timing of the comedy is off. I think Michael Jordan is actually really wooden, and he's just there to be Michael Jordan. And I like Michael Jordan. I got nothing against Michael Jordan, but like... Well, it's, as a person, sure. Yeah, I got as, nothing... Yeah. As an actor, I have plenty against him. Yeah, he's... he's <laughs> and he, he would agree with me, I'm, I'm sure. sure he would. Yeah. He's just there to be Michael Jordan. Mm. And like... It, the, the, I, the, the movie doesn't work. The, I'm the, sorry. The Looney Tunes are out of character. They yeah. dictated to Looney Tunes and like made them less funny. Yeah. They tried to throw in contemporary references, which, uh, to cite Tiny Tunes, Tiny Tunes nailed that stuff. A lot of it, yeah. Like, Babs, he, is a, he, Babs is a great character. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I wish they bring back Babs. I heard they're rebooting like Tiny Tunes in some way. I hope they do a good job. Um, uh, fingers crossed. Yeah. Like, did, did I tell you my idea for the, the Tiny Tunes reboot? The Tiny Tunes are teaching a new generation of tunes? Uh, well, the, the Tiny Tunes are... Uh, when it debuted, there were 12. They were in junior yeah. high school. They were like exactly my age when that yeah. show debuted. And uh, they went off the air and then they came back a little bit later with like a spring break special. And they were 16. They're actually older. Mm. So the Tiny Tunes age. They do grow. Right. And, uh, so you want one where they're now like 40? So yeah, I, I would love to see a, a Tiny Tunes reboot, which is about trying to put together a Tiny Tunes reboot. Where it's like gathering up like, what are the Tiny Tunes up to today? So it's the They've Muppets. All, Pretty much, it's the Muppets, but it's, it's yeah. but you know now they're like they're out of showbiz again. Okay, so like you know Buster is he, like he Buster is the only one who like sort of achieved any kind of fame, but he's like sort of a star's fame. Oh, I don't buy that Babs uh, would achieve fame. I'm sorry, but ba- ba- Babs runs her own acting studio. Like, After yeah. having a, an enormously uh, successful like whirlwind she, she, career, she, 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 yeah, she had like a, a, okay. hit, a hit sitcom. I, I don't buy just, that you know. Babs wasn't successful. Babs is <laughs> Babs was the Joan yeah. Rivers of her day. Mm. Babs is Babs was a genius. She was sued by jo- by uh, <laughs> Melissa Rivers for ripping off her mom's shtick. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> See, now that's the so, storyline. Yeah, there, there's the that's story a good line. one. I like that one. Okay. Um, Hampton passed away. What? Uh, so, uh, what? Why? <laughs> well, Don Messick passed away. I don't okay, want to bring him back. All right, but fine, Who fine. played the voice of Hampton? All right, all right. I'll so, yeah, I'll one, one of the opening scenes is like oh, Plucky laying flowers on his grave. It's like, oh, all his Missy a hammy. And, that's and Plucky, so dark. Plucky, of course, is like a used car salesman. Like, he has no fame why whatsoever. Why is this so dark? <laughs> why? That's, I think it's fitting for the Tiny Tunes. They were always concerned about their level of fame. They were concerned about having careers so that their, their careers are on the outs kind of makes a little bit of sense to me. I think I'd rather see this as one of those like 
comics that are like based on Hanna Barbera cartoons, but take them like really too seriously. Oh, there you go. If this is a comic, I think I'd read it. Okay. <laughs> I, don't know I, I don't know if I want to see this as a movie or a TV show. But anyway, anyway we got to read more of these letters. Anyway, we're, we're, we're not fans of Space Jam. We talked about it before, but fair enough. We know a lot of people love it. Here's the third correction that that, uh-huh. the, that uh, Bob, who's the writer of this letter, has for us. Mm-hmm. Um, number three. Scooby-Doo is an American treasure. <laughs> and you both shit on him and say the Scooby gang uh, and the Scooby gang too much. It's a perfect horror mystery show for young children. Easy to digest as an older adult. My five-year-old loves it. Whitney should let his son watch it and see if it changes his mind. Scooby-Doo is the gift that keeps on giving uh, with Matthew Lillard. Now reprising his role as Shaggy and they've had a great voice. Uh, I found a great voice to take over for Casey Kasem. You can't hate Scrappy Doo. Uh, you can hate Scrappy. You can hate Scrappy Doo. That's acceptable. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the few. That's one of the few anythings in this world that's you're just like, allowed to hate. That's like saying you hate evil. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's just easy to come. Um, finish, finish the email. All right. Anyway, um, you both rock, even though you're horribly wrong on these three items. Fair. I don't recall. Um, uh, is that, and, is that, and he has a uh, uh, time for and a little brief bit. Time for the lightning round. Are these films appropriate in your opinion for a five year old? So quick yes or no, real fast. Oh, uh, let's um, see. Uh, Hook. No, no, no. Here's the list. Oh, sorry. Okay. Um, and, and by the way, this is going to be very subjective because mm-hmm. not all kids are the same. Yeah. Some are more mature than others. Some are more capable of handling dark material than others. Mm-hmm. This is just going to be my limited familiarity right. based on the kids that I know. All right. Um, for a five year old, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah or nay? Eh, probably not. Star Wars. Sure. The 77 Star Wars. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I'll um, let it go, yeah. Uh, Tim Burton's Batman. Yes. Uh, Leslie Martinson's Batman. Yes. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, Richard Donner's Superman. Sure, the dad scene mm. might depress him, but I think I'll be fine. It, it's it's light enough. Yeah. Um, 1984 Ghostbusters. Yes, I saw the movie when I was like four. I think it's fine. There's a it's, lot that's going to fly over it's, kids. It's, it, there's some scary stuff, but I think it's all the tone mm. is light. I think it'll be fine. Yeah. Um, and the and the and the the weird like adult humor go right over their heads. Yeah. Uh, 1990 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Yeah. 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 Uh, TMNT, the animated film. Fine. I mean, less so, actually. It's yeah. Like, like it's busy and more violent than the 1990 film. Yeah, I find it so disposable. Yeah. Honestly, I think it's just gonna. I think it's just gonna be noise. There's like one cool like fight scene in that yeah. one. Yeah. Um, Back to the Future. Okay, for a five year old. Uh, yeah, but they're they're not gonna pick up on the weird shit. Yeah, they're just gonna they're just gonna see Marty McFly having fun in the fifties. Yeah, that's what I was. Even if they know what the fifties is, uh, no, I, I watched that when I was. I, that movie right. came out when I was like five. Yeah, yeah. I liked it fine. Uh, this is King Kong or Godzilla any version um, 60s Godzilla movies for sure um, I think uh, the, Sho- I th- the Showa era Godzilla movies watch all of those I, I think like um, I don't know if I... no I'm gonna say yeah. no I think maybe maybe some of the Godzilla movies you're talking mm. about will be fun uh, but I think the modern ones are like just nothing but chaos and violence. And as much as I love the original King Kong, you need context because there's, yeah, there's some shit. You need in that to be movie. a little older to watch King Kong. There's, there's some days. shit in that movie that needs yeah. to be explained and just say this was another time and that's not cool anymore. Yeah. Nor was it ever cool then. But you uh, know what I mean. Uh, the Goonies. It's about kids. Yeah. Sure. You no, know, I'm actually going to yeah. say no, just because I think that's, there's a crassness and also there's this weird fat phobia to it. Mm. I don't think it's really healthy for kids. I'll say a little older for that. Yeah, it's um, it hasn't aged incredibly well. I don't think it uh, has now. Uh, Gremlins too scary for a five year old. I think it's too scary for um, a five year old. Yeah, Hook it's fine for a five year old. Yeah, fine. Uh, Speed Racer, yes, yes definitely perfect Speed Racer, for a five year old. Yeah. Give him a bunch of pixie yeah. sticks and let him and let them go. And uh, bonus round. Your opinions on the following things quickly: Reese's peanut butter cups, pass. Uh, mayonnaise, yes. Mayonnaise is Satan's pus. 
Um, and I like it on it a sandwich. Is, is, no, thank you. I you don't like Reese's it, peanut butter. I think chocolate and peanut me. butter do not go well together. Uh, I know I'm weird. All right. Uh, pineapple on pizza. Yes. Why fine. not? Sure. I don't care. I, I don't understand why that's, there's put, controversy. Put whatever you want on a pizza if it tastes good to you. Yeah. And uh, and ketchup on eggs. Yeah. I do that all the time. It's okay. Yeah. Uh, anyway, final question. Do you think... Uh, more one more question. Jesus. Uh, what do you think is... <laughs> Final question. What do you think uh, the already filmed Scream 5, also called Scream, uh, mm-hmm. is possibly about? Thank you for your time. Bob from Maine. Oh, I hope that new Scream movie is good. Um, what is it What is it about? Well, it's going to be meta, and it, mm. it better be meta. Um, it's, I'm it's one bre- bread and butter of Scream mm-hmm. as a series. I think, uh, I mean, I, I can only imagine that they're rebooting the Stab franchise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, they're going to have to deal with uh, uh, more copycat killers. They're not was... complicated in their setup. They've got to be complicated in their delivery, Yeah, I think. Um, my, I always, my pitch for, for uh, Scream reboot was always... Um, Just make Stab. Well, that was my, that was my yeah. gag. Like, instead, of, we, we didn't reboot Scream because Scream took place in the real world, and you can't reboot the real world. Yeah. So here's a reboot, and then as like we'll get through like the opening kill, and then we'll find out that we're actually watching a reboot of the Stab franchise, which is infinitely weirder. Yeah. Than the Scream franchise. So we're going to follow similar beats to the original Scream, but it's going to start getting super bizarre because like later Stab movies had time travel in it mm-hmm. and shit. And we're going to have to set that shit up. Yeah, the, the opening of Scream 4 is one of my favorite things. It, it's just so brilliant. The way I, they keep like peeling yeah. back the layers of reality. And you see the gag coming really oh, yeah. early on, but I think it's still expertly had. I, I maintain that Scream 4 would have been a lot better if they had used the original version of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, which the, the version that they used is fine, but if you look on the Blu-ray or the, I think it's on the DVD too. Um, I think it's even just online. Uh, if you look at the original ending, when when it finally and we finally end up in the real world, it's way darker. And there's this mm. whole scene with like a, like you, a girl like sees Ghostface actually killing her sister, and she's laughing because she thinks it's fake. Uh-huh. And it's like so much darker. Like oh, it's geez, really terrifying, yeah. actually. And when she realizes her mistake, like the horror on her face, like it's it's really good. Like I, I'm mad that that's not the original, the version that they used. Um, but other than that, I think Scream Four is great. I think all the Scream mm. movies are great. I really do, yeah. the, to varying degrees, perhaps, but they're all really, really great. Um, uh, I want to say this. I want to say this because we we moved on pretty fast. I don't, have I really been that harsh on Scooby-Doo? Because I think in premise, Scooby-Doo, okay. though silly and mm. certainly kind of stupid, there's, I think Scooby-Doo, there's a lot of a lot of fun that's come out of Scooby-Doo. I don't hate a, Scooby-Doo. There's a lot to a lot positive that I can say about Scooby-Doo. I'm, I'm probably the one who's dumped on Scooby-Doo more. Yeah. Uh, but uh, there's definitely st- Scooby-Doo stuff I don't like because the, the, there's yeah, the, a ton of it. The but. premise of teenagers uh, driving around in a mystery machine. It's not a mystery machine. It's a van. Uh, they... Uh, Solve like going to mysterious places, solving ghostly mysteries, and always finding at the end of the day that it's actually a, a, a human interloper who is mm. trying to uh, get away with some sort of financial scheme. Uh, it's an interesting premise. It's and, a good lesson for kids. Honestly. And and the, yeah. and the archetypes monsters aren't real, but real monsters are people are who are trying to exploit people, other yeah. people. Yeah, and uh, and the the uh, the characters are archetypes, but they get along pretty well. I mean, Fred is is. Nothing. He's a you know just this Vaseline on toast. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just just a, yeah. this bland, bland ascot that walks bland, like a man. Bland, dry. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna call him a bland, dry piece of bread, but yeah. I like your description better. 
Yeah, Daphne as well is just she's, she's fine. She's kind of yeah. nothing. But yeah, Velma, Shaggy, and and Scooby are actually kind of they at least have some personality. Uh, they're they're fun characters. Uh, I like them all. Mm-hmm. So those are things that I can I can defend about Scooby Doo. Always weirded me out when they did like they they did like offshoots of Scooby Doo where it was just Shaggy, Scooby, and Daphne. Yeah, why Daphne? Why not Velma? Velma's a much more interesting character in that in that mix. Oh. Yeah, and and she and Shaggy interacted in a much more interesting way. I uh, thought they were fun together, yeah. Uh, what I don't like about Scooby-Doo is that it's a crappy show. There's, it's it's not a lot well, of them are not good. It's not well written. The plots aren't interesting. However, it gets, really, watched... gets really predictably, real predictable real fast. But and it's really original, cheap, bad animation. We're talking about the original, though. And to be fair, Scooby-Doo has like lingered and had a yeah. weirdly long self Look, I've, I've, I've seen the various itera- original iterations of Scooby. I yeah. saw the a pup named Scooby-Doo when I was a kid in the 1980s. Yeah. Have you watched like the more recent, like the last 10 years TV I, I saw the movie Scoob, all now, right? I'm so not I've, talking about that. I'm talking about the ones that's on TV that the kids are really growing up with like a lot no i okay, haven't I'm, seen those I'm maybe, you, maybe there's some good scooby-doo i'm just saying you haven't seen every version and neither right. have i because there's been a ton but, of it so i will allow that maybe these modern versions are good mm. we come from an era where scooby-doo was actually weirdly secular like intensely secular and then it, over the course of our lives it became actually supernatural and there's a part of us that really wanted to reject that because it just wasn't our scooby-doo but now the supernatural version of Scooby Doo has been around way longer than the secular version of Scooby Doo. Mm-hmm. It's like the it's the real Scooby Doo now, yeah. and I have to accept that even if my brain can't quite handle it. So well, Scooby Doo wasn't mine anymore. It was never really mine. It was always like kind of the generation previous to mine, and I was watching reruns. And then by the time it really came back, it was like the next generation of kids after me. Yeah. So I'm in this weird pocket where like I was thoroughly aware of Scooby Doo. I kind of liked Scooby Doo when I was a little kid, but it was never really mine. So that might be the situation here, and that might be why I'm a little on the outside looking at when it comes to Scooby Doo. Right. Uh, I, I Scooby Doo was on heavy reruns when I was a kid. Yeah, it was p- part of my childhood, a very rich part of my childhood. My sister really liked it. Everybody watched it. Everybody just sort of agreed that it was something we were going to watch. Yeah. Nobody loved it. Yeah. At least not when we talked about it. It's like, do you see that Scooby Doo? Reminded me of a Scooby Doo thing that I saw on TV. Oh, you watch it too? Yeah. But that never led to, oh, I really love Scooby. Like, it was never mm. never that. That's how I felt about Mad About You. Like, everybody like, watched it. Sitcom, nobody loved it. It was like yeah. a sitcom, but it was on after Friends and, like, before Seinfeld or Frasier, one of those. Mm. And it was just, like, it was good, but it wasn't anyone's favorite. But it was just <laughs> in the right pocket where, like, yeah, we might as well not change the channel. But that, that nostalgia of just everybody having sh- this shared experience kind of grew up with my generation to the mm. point where everybody started to agree, I guess that was okay. That was a good show. Yeah. And, you know, you go back and you watch it. It's not. It's, it's not a good show. It it's, is, just, it's just it was it, always there. It was like, always it's, there. It's just, it's just because it's like family of it, after a while. Because of its ubiquity, yeah. uh, just everybody sort of agreed that this was a good thing. I feel the same way about DuckTales. DuckTales is a great theme song. Uh-huh. It's a mediocre show, but everybody watched it. I feel like you're a little harsh on DuckTales, but there's a lot of stuff I'll give you like that. There's a yeah. lot of stuff. like That's how I feel about Seinfeld. <laughs> Honestly, Seinfeld, sometimes brilliant. Sometimes the construction of that show is genuinely... There's a lot of wit to, to there's Seinfeld. There's a lot of wit to there's it, but it was really also... really well-written episodes. But it was also just everywhere. And there were other mm. sitcoms that were just as funny. Mm. There really were. News Radio. The first like few seasons of News Radio, I will take the Pepsi Challenge... Better than Seinfeld, <laughs> way better than Seinfeld. Uh, I just, I just, I just think Seinfeld. It's, it's. Sometimes it was brilliant. Most mm-hmm. of the time, it was fine. 
but whatever. It was everywhere. It was constantly on in reruns, and so it just sort of solidified its, like, dominance. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Uh, uh, so, I... I don't apologize for hating Scooby-Doo because I just don't like the show, but um, I, I do understand that it is well regarded by a mm-hmm. good number, goodly number of people. Um, yeah. I know Space Jam is well regarded by a certain within a certain age window, and uh, and what, what was the first thing? Oh, Hook. Hook. Um, yeah. A lot of people love Hook. And ditto for Hook. Uh, yeah, yeah, a lot of, a lot of people be, really listen, like Hook. Listen, sometimes sometimes we are not. Hmm. Like sometimes we're not part of the majority here, and that's sometimes that's a critic's job, is to not not to be contrarian for its own sake. People who think critics do that, mm. that's immature, and no one should be doing that. But when you do have a contrarian opinion, when you just genuinely look at a movie and go, you know, I have issues with this, and here's what they are, even though like it seems like everybody other than me says that, you still have to say it. You yeah. still have to, you ha- you can't just go, eh, everyone else likes it. Like no. If you have any, like, if our job is to have confidence in our opinions and to be able mm-hmm. to say what we feel about things. And sometimes other people agree, sometimes not. And maybe we can provide an interesting counterpoint, something to think about. And this might be one of those times or maybe people are just going to disagree with us on this one. Mm-hmm. That's fine. That's, I can live with that. I can live with being, like, a, one of the very small number of people who think Hook is a mess and ultimately isn't very good. I like it more than Whitney, but it's still not good. Like I'm, I can live with that. I, I saw it twice in theaters, yeah. and I enjoyed it when it came out in '94. I, I saw it I a bunch of times school. when I was a kid, and it's it's like I said, it's one of those mm. movies where I'm watching this when I'm a kid, and there's something that feels off about it, mm. and I felt like I wasn't allowed to say so because everyone else I knew loved it. And as I got older and more confident in my opinions, and I was able to articulate how I really felt about things, and understood more things about context and aren't, I realized what elements of Hook. Mm don't work for me I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not going to relitigate I've been we went on at length in a recent episode but I feel that way about that I feel the way about Goonies like there's a lot of stuff I love in Goonies <laughs> some cool shit in Goonies yeah. there's also some shit that sucks in Goonies and I don't like that shit it, it, it is an incredibly toxic film yeah it, it, as I said it, it didn't age very well yeah it's mean I, to a lot of kids I feel like um, a lot of people my age grew up watching Ghostbusters to the point where they've kind of lost sight of how this is a, a story about working men rather yeah. than the supernatural. It's a blue collar <laughs> comedy. Know. They just happened to catch. The idea is it's, they turn the most, fa- they yeah. turn the most fantastical gig in the world into an exterminator yeah. job in New York city. And, That's yeah. the joke. I like that joke. And, I think that movie's great. And it, yeah, it's about sort of the, the success of the small businessman. And, yeah. and we've talked about how that it actually like espouses some pretty, uh, solidly right wing ideas. Yeah, who's the who's the real bad guy? Not Gozer. Gozer yeah. is just this ancient deity who wants to kill everything. Who's the real bad guy in Ghostbusters? The, the guy, guy who believes in regu- the yeah. guy who believes in safety regulations. He's he's big. Yeah. He's big government wanting to shut the Ghostbusters down. And man. here's the thing: he has a very valid point. I want to know what it is you do here. Why he says in this like Peter Venkman says in this really smarmy kind because, of way because you're because using you're, unlicensed scientific equipment and God only knows what it's doing to the to the to the ecosystem and the air and the, uh, who we don't know what the fuck this I, is. I it's, would have loved to have seen like in Ghostbusters two, which is kind of just a retread of the first one. Yeah, but, I, uh, I like it more than most people, but it's, uh, it's just okay. I, yeah. I like it fine, but it is yeah. only okay. Um, yeah. I would have loved to the, the second one to have been all about how Walter Peck was right. Yeah. How the Willie Matherton character was uh, 
like it turns out like yeah, that their equipment was the stuff that was like now like ripping new holes in space mm-hmm. time because they never tested it. The, the containment system mm-hmm. was actually like it was a prototype and there are cracks in it and like ghosts are pouring through people's faucets on the block. Yeah, what, whatever like, it is. Yeah. It's, it's something about how their their business actually like did pose a threat because they weren't actually testing things properly. No, they even say it when they like get their like firehouse or whatever. That's mm-hmm. like this this the, the electrical grid is completely insufficient. For our needs, something I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but like yeah. they flat out say, "This is a terrible place to do this. Our equipment won't work right." And and it's all a joke. It's presented yeah. as humorous in yeah. the film, and it, and it's funny. Yeah, but yeah. But they also say that they're wearing an unlicensed yeah, so, nuclear accelerator on their back. Maybe yeah, they, that is yeah. worth looking into. I, I feel like guys my age, and they are guys, have have been dictating the conversation for a little while now. A long, uh, while. A, a long while now. Like we we have yeah. a, we've had a stranglehold on the pop culture conversation for greater than our share, and mm. this vaunting of films from this window from like the the mid eighties to the mid nineties uh, it needs to close. We just need to. We, yeah. we need uh, the big news story for, and it just broke today as uh, as we record this was that uh, MGM mm. has been bought by Amazon. Yeah, Amazon now owns the MGM library. This is yeah. uh, to be now, fair. The MGM library was mostly bought up by Turner, so it's yeah, actually only the so, MGM library after May after, of nineteen eighty six. So it's only more recent MGM yeah. films, uh, but I think they they also have. Some distribution rights to some of the older titles. Well, some of them are we'll franchises see, um, like Rocky, that kind of thing. Yeah, they have yeah. some big ones, yeah. And all of the conversations were, yeah, we bought this uh, this library, and now we can start like milking that IP that we just bought. I'm going to turn it's that. I'm going to turn Roadhouse been, into a TV show. Yeah, that it's, kind of it's never been about we want to maintain a library. Yeah. We think we can do this better. We well, want to sell these and sell and distribute these films in our own way. And that idea. Of only seeing studio as the value of their IP, that's my generation. Yeah. It's all the shit we grew up with mm-hmm. milked and returned back to audiences, but to a new audience. We're going to do a new Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. We're going to, you know, I remember when, you know, Disney bought Fox and it's all about, ooh, what IPs can now cross now, what's over? What's Disney going to do with Predator? Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, that, it's like, oh, what are they going to do with Predator? Why do they have to do anything with Predator? Redistri- redistribute those films, keep them alive, put them on home video. Re- keep on keep the films in the consciousness. You don't have to remake them. You don't have to have the crossovers. That's my generation doing that shit, thinking that we only have a finite number gonna, of ideas and we right just want to watch no, them I'm fight gonna, each other. I'm going to stop you right here. Hmm. Remakes, reboots, turning old movies into TV series. Hmm. That's been going on way longer than our generation. Dude. It's been going on. I'm just saying that's not that's, new. That's it's, not it's, new. It's been at going all. on. It's been going on at this level, and you know, as soon as well, yeah, my generation our, came, took over, it, it spiked, and, and that's you know, what I'm complaining. And in about. our generation, all of a yeah. sudden, and I'm, I'm not defending this too hard, yeah. but I just want to keep it in context. When our generation came yeah. around, all of a sudden, <laughs> there were a hundred cable channels that all needed TV shows. Yeah, yeah, they're not not like there were three stations out there, mm. and sometimes we'll do a Casablanca TV series or some shit. Like, no, no, there's all of a sudden a lot of space to fill. Yeah. And then we got a lot more of it, so it, it accelerated. But it was always—it's always something studios were doing. Yeah, but it, 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 it accelerated to this huge, huge degree. I don't disagree. And, I'm just uh, saying that and, we didn't invent that. And and now, and it, it's reached the point where like so much time and so much energy and so much resources is only being put into stuff we know, I know. rather than you know exciting well, new things. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not, not going to stop right there. There's new stuff all the time, but it's not getting it's the not, room. It, yeah, but it has really, really uh, low profile. Is exactly, my point. that's the problem. Yeah. I think. That's 
that's the problem. And that's something that I actually hope once now that we're starting to get out of the woods mm. uh, with the pandemic, we spent like the better part of a year giving a lot more time in mm. the pop culture consciousness to smaller films. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. And I think we should really try to remember that there's a lot of films out there that won't get noticed if we don't talk about them. So maybe instead of only talking about blockbusters in July, make sure we keep an eye out and give that same level of like attention that we did last July to Palm Springs, yeah, to some like other smaller films. That, like, that, that's not even that small. It's got fucking yeah. Andy Samberg in it. But you know what I mean? Something like The Vast of Night. Yeah. Like we like need people, to, that was like in the conversation for a while. We that's can't, a great film. We can't ignore that shit. And we can't complain. We have no right to complain. That like, oh, they're just doing the same shit over and over again if we don't talk more about the new shit. And that requires us to seek out the new shit because the new shit, by and large, is not getting the same level of publicity. Yeah, so yeah. that's on us as critics and that it's also on the viewer. It's also on everyone else uh, listening right now. And I, I don't mean to put any extra pressure on you, but there is new stuff coming out, original stuff, every single week. Hmm. We try to highlight as much of it as we can, but we're only two people. There's stuff to seek out. Hmm. Seek it out. Look for the new thing instead of just the old thing repackaged. We will be reviewing Cruella this weekend, and we will revisit this fucking conversation. <laughs> Let me tell you about that. God, God that movie. Oh, oh, I'm so glad you hate it. I, I did not know <laughs> seething through most of it. Just it's no, I no. It, it is. Emma Thompson's well, I, good I, though. I, I got. I'm just and, and water is wet, baby. Yeah, it's like. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we'll, we'll talk in great detail about Corral when we review it on Critically Acclaimed. Anyway, that is it for We've Got Mail this week. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We love every single one of you. We're so grateful to you. Thank you, everybody, who wrote in. If you didn't hear your email, we'll be back next week. And we don't have time to read everything, but we try. Mm-hmm. And we get to as many as we can while still having very long-winded conversations. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, but anyway, that email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Once again, that is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. You can also find us on Twitter at criticallyacclaimed. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. If you head on over to patreon.com slash criticallyacclaimednetwork, you can help this podcast feed hmm. like continue to exist because it's actually like a lot. And we're doing the best we can. We want to give a very special thank you to all of our patrons, without whom our shows would not exist. Just yeah, wouldn't yeah. be possible. We're just incredibly grateful to you all. Thank you for everything. And uh, if you if you contribute, you get to vote for future episodes of our various shows. You also get at any tier a whole lot of exclusive uh, podcasts, like a lot. So be yeah, sure and, to check and, all that. And out. you get access to like the whole back catalog. Yeah. So you, yeah, if you sign up for the first time, you just have all this stuff yeah. you can catch up on. It'll all be it's, there. It's it's really quite a lot. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, and um, okay, and our PO box again. Yes, thank you. Network PO box six four one five six five. 641565 Los Angeles, California 90064 For those of us uh, who, who like snail mail We've had requests mm-hmm. Now yeah. you can send us snail mail Mail us a letter Yeah, if you would choose No pressure And um, yeah Also go to uh, our, our Etsy store Salt Cat Soap All one word You can get a bunch of designer soaps Some designed by myself Some A lot of them designed by M. Lapis da Silva My wife and partner And uh, they're really, really nice and we got uh, some new stuff coming in the next week or so, but also we already have some nice Father's Day stuff available if you want looking to get something uh, for the dads in your life. <laughs> or just for yourself. You deserve it. Mm. Get some soap. Treat yourself. It's nice. And uh, that's it. So thank you again, everybody. One and all, sincerely yours, Bibbs and Whitney. Whitney. <laughs>